everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, uh, a very flustered Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? This is like a chaplain giving a blessing before the IndyCar e-race. <laughs> so we're getting Rob's live reactions of the IndyCar iRacing series. Yeah, they have just a straight up uh, dude in a dude in. Well, the one I saw, he was a dude in a forest praying. Uh, which is something that happens before every American race. Uh, and then there's a national anthem, which, Rob, you said showed a waving national or a waving American flag in yeah. iRacing. Yeah, they, they're doing, they're producing it as if it were, they're like, their TV shots they're reproducing in this Twitch, in this Twitch broadcast. Where, like, yes. you've got Beth Griffith Manley who is a contestant on The Voice singing the national anthem cut to <laughs> like aerial shot of the Michigan Speedway cut to the flag silhouetted against the blue sky like fluttering in the breeze with the sunlight like uh, dappling through them. You're saying Machinima is back. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> it's so uh, earnest. Yeah. But like it's a it's a full commitment. Oh, I think it's I think it's a smart decision. Yeah. Uh, also here joining us, uh, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. The, the the one thing I need to know is whether or not they have the milk. <laughs> it's virtual milk. Virtual milk for the end of the Indy 500. Do they have that sweet sweet? Because like milk physics are no joke, right? So sure. that's like that takes a lot of processing power. So do, cut do away un- as the driver avatars yeah. are like handed the milk and then it's like glued to their hands and then cut away as they sip and the milk jar is empty. Totally, yeah. They have to like or <laughs> they have to like unload half of the crowd or half of the cars in the background just to free up enough RAM to get that milk to look real good. <laughs> Video games are Otherwise, hard. it's just like a, a, a white plane that is descending See, in the jar. Exactly. <laughs> but, Drew, this is why. So I was joking we talked about it last week, but now I really do want them to, like, cut in footage of a DCS stream doing a flyover. Oh, my like, God. This is, like, let's go Let's go all the way here. That'd be amazing. Like, oh, and I'll get my Warthog. Yeah, here's, here's, the, here's the A-10 Warthog Acrobatic Squadron. But like at this stage, why not just have like a Tie Fighter do it? Like there, yeah, there are no that's rules. Not taking it seriously. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is this is solemn. <laughs> this is we are we are praying before the before I racing uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ to keep the drivers' avatars safe, uh, and we're doing the national anthem. So can't has any Tie Fighter has it. Has anyone checked in on Second Life during all this? Are those people okay? <laughs> oh, they're they're probably living it up. Uh, well, if you've just found Formula One or this podcast, welcome I have some to bad news for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you do actually want to learn about Formula One, we have an episode for that. It's episode 96. Um, but uh, we, for the foreseeable future, are doing something a little different on this show. Instead of our regular pre race and post race episodes, we'll be alternating news update and uh, user email episodes uh, with. Uh, Reviews of the most recent season of Netflix's F1 series, Drive to Survive. We are running um, out although, of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's dwindling down. We got one more to go. That'll be next week. Uh, this week is a, uh, a news and emails 
uh, episodes. So if you'd like to send us emails for those episodes, you can do so at shift one pod shift F one podcast at gmail.com. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F one, where every month we release bonus podcasts exclusively for our patrons, uh, covering racing documentaries and films primers for the series and uh, other weird things so if you want to support the show and get access to all of that along with early access to the video content that we do over on youtube.com slash shift f1 uh head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes uh what's been going on in patreon land this month danny yeah i mean we talked yesterday we recorded the podcast for our patrons for this month uh, the exclusive one uh we covered a new documentary uh, called Uppity, The Willie T. Ribs Story, which is available on Netflix. Uh, a very interesting, uh, what we call it, a, a biopic of uh, which which involves itself in, in NASCAR, in F1, in IMSA, uh, all following the, uh, the the life and times and career of Willie T. Ribs, who was uh, sort of, uh, without, without spoiling anything, was... Uh, somebody who was breaking their barriers for African Americans in racing, and uh, yeah, we. I actually think the conversation we had was more interesting in many ways than the documentary was. But uh, I mean, we're very interesting. We, <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's, yeah, that's hard to say that without blowing smoke up my ass or something. That's <laughs> not. I I think it's a documentary that is meant to be talked about, and I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so we we ended up recording one of our longest ones ever actually yesterday. Um, and also we should have a track walk of China up because that was supposed to happen this weekend. Uh, although we did not originally record one because originally it was postponed before any of this happened. It was the first one, I guess, postponed. So we figured. Um, the rest of them we recorded as if they were actually going to happen. So um, we have to sort of backtrack and do that one. Um, yeah, we haven't shot it yet, so... <laughs> no, which is going to be weird when the Zanvort one comes up then because we're going to suddenly jump into current COVID land and then go back to those Halcyon days of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before we knew better. Um, but yeah, loads of stuff there if you want to go on Patreon and you'll get access to all the old um episodes as well so if you are hankering for stuff to watch check out our youtube channel and if you want more podcasts become a patron and get access to the back catalog do it now or uh don't. yeah whatevs um let's uh let's take it to the news shall we let's do it uh rob you want to kick us off here about you know i know everyone is probably tired of hearing about uh how the coronavirus is affecting the world like we what's all that? get it what's that the what uh, it's um, it's uh, it it's dance? this computer virus that's oh, wiping really? out all <laughs> uh, esports. Um, so one thing it's not destroying. So how, uh, Rob? How has what's what's the current state of the future of F one look like? Really murky. Um, and part of this is because getting hard numbers about F one programs is so incredibly difficult. Uh, in terms of team agreements, that there can be some transparency. When we're discussing cost caps, we can talk about, well, here's what uh, you know teams will be allowed to spend once we impose these cost caps. Uh, but in terms of what current and ongoing programs are, are operating at in terms of profit and loss, a lot of that stuff we just kind of have to infer. Uh, Fritz Dieter Rankin uh, tends to be one of the people who dives into uh, – the numbers behind F1 and a lot of the implicit assumptions you can make about them. Uh, but overall, like 
things do not look good, and there's a lot of people sort of sounding the alarm. Uh, to Just for starters, most of the teams have furloughed staff. Uh, at this point, McLaren is furloughed staff, Renault, uh, Haas uh, furloughed their staff early, very early in April. Uh, the teams that are based in the UK have applied for the UK job retention scheme. That puts people, uh, that guarantees them, the government will pay their wage up to £2,500 a month. Uh, companies can still pay the balance toward the regular salary, but the government benefit uh, caps out at 2500 Crucially, this isn't an unemployment benefit. Uh, this allows staff to be retained. Uh, they are still on salary. Uh, they, they are still employed by their company. They are, ju- they are just being paid by the government uh, to get that you know, outlay off those companies' books. Uh, so a lot of the teams sound like they are applying for that relief as well. Um, but Zach Brown made uh, sort of gave an interview earlier this month where he was saying that he saw possibly up to four teams disappearing if this isn't handled the right way, uh, to give you a direct quote. And uh, Rankin has a similarly grim analysis. Uh, he wrote a piece over at racefans.net uh, called which, which F1 teams are greatest risk from the financial shock. And he sort of goes, runs down the line of uh, race teams on a one to five where one, they're most likely to stay and five, they're most likely to not be an F1 at the end of this uh, viral and financial crisis. And his verdict is pretty bad. Uh, there mm. are a lot of F1 programs that he he places at like extreme risk uh, or elevated risk, including uh, Mercedes. You know, there's there's been a lot of those rumors during the off season. I think we talked a bit about them during our off season shows, where there are rumors that Mercedes might already be in a place where they're looking to wind down the F1 program. Uh, for a lot of reasons, not a lot left to prove. Uh, they're about to enter a new era where their dominance is less assured. It's an expensive program. Uh, well, now all of that is intensified by the financial collapse. Uh, so Mercedes, you know, sudden, even though they downplayed those rumors, they're contemplating an exit. Uh, if, you, if you think about the actual situation and the context of Mercedes F1 program, there's actually a lot of cause to be concerned about whether their commitment uh, stays in. But there are other things that you could see happening as well, like Honda might not stick this out. And if Honda leaves, right. that that stands a very good chance of uh, crossing off the entire Red Bull program. Because at that point, they wind up an engine supplier, and they'll be sort of forced back into a really restricted engine marketplace that they've already been frustrated with in the past. Uh, and then you have sort of your more fly by night is really, <laughs> really harsh way to put it because they're really not. But we, <laughs> but we know that we know that Haas is kind of a shoestring operation, right? And on top of that, we saw that, uh, you know, when we talk about drive to survive, you can see that Gene Haas is kind of impatient and frustrated with the F1 program and frustrated with F1. Uh, and even before this season, not started, but even before the season was set to start, uh, Haas was out there saying publicly that this was kind of a make or break year. They needed to show some progress toward being competitive. He needed to, he, in order to stay in F1, he needed to feel uh, this team has a chance at winning. 
well, there, there might not be an F1 season, uh, but you know, even if there had been, there was a good chance this program might also be wound down. Uh, Williams appears to be in rough shape. They had to spin off their advanced engineering program uh, and, and sell, sell that outside the family business. So it is a surprisingly... It's a surprisingly scary team for a lot of uh, a surprisingly scary time for a lot of F1 programs uh, because as dire as the situation is, I don't think I'd fully internalized how tenuous the current grid of F1 really was and how unable to handle this kind of disruption it might prove to be. Uh, but that has put a lot of pressure on the need to do a couple things. One is they badly need to figure out how they're going to control costs. Uh, this is a really high priority for a number of the less well-heeled teams. In an emergency meeting uh, that the teams held in early April, they did decide they were going to still move forward with technical changes uh, for 2022. So even though Christian Horner had floated pushing the new 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 F1 cars back to 2023, it sounds like that was rejected. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of teams want to lower the cost. Uh, they want to lower the uh, cost cap. But the better the the better funded teams are balking at that for a couple reasons. Uh, you know, it's the standard self interest stuff in F1 but they feel like they also pay development costs for the parts they sell to customer teams and they pay those development costs, but for the customer teams, they don't. And so the budget, the the idea of a budget cap lands really unevenly across the teams on the F1 grid. Mm. Uh, There's been some discussion of implementing a token system that allows teams to say, we're going to develop these parts of our car and once you've used up your tokens, you can't do development on other components. So you can say... Didn't they have something like that before? They did. This is a return yeah. of an old idea. Huh. Uh, it's like four and, or five seasons ago, right? Yeah. And I can't, yeah. you know, I, I can't really recall how well, it, how well it worked, right? Well, they don't use that anymore, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could see it making sense in this context because you, you kind of have development frozen as it is, as you were sort of yeah. stuck between car models and we're going to be extending this rule set out a year. Uh, but the teams are trying, like there is the standard, the, the standard collective action problem is surfacing in F1 as usual, where the interests of Ferrari are very different from the interests mm-hmm. of Haas. And the scary thing is it sounds like those teams that are sort of at the bottom of the running order, the bottom of the funding order, really need some pretty substantial help and changes in the near future that is not going to come via F1's usual cat-herding decision-making progr- uh, process. Um, so that has really raised the pressure on getting some kind of racing done this year. Uh, Teams have some income coming in this year from payments that were due them from last season's races uh, because F1 sort of pays out over time. It's not like you get a big check at the end of of one season. Uh, Mm -hmm. It sort of pays out over time. But once that money is up, they need need those TV revenues. They need those event fees. and this is where we start to run into real problems because 
right now, it's really unclear what kind of F1 season we can have, and events are changing fast. Like, at the start of this month, Ross Braun was talking about, uh, gosh, I think he was he was saying we could probably do something like 19 races. Yeah, uh, 19, we start, yeah. Yeah, if we start by mid-July. But it sounds like that is starting to become tenuous. Uh, Drew, you have a little bit about that, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he was talking about, um, uh, you know, starting... Uh, well, starting with France, which uh, is not happening, um, it seems to not be My happening. The, uh, the the French <laughs> government ins- extended the lockdown, uh, so that would probably conflict with uh, the French Grand Prix. Canada also mm. uh, has joined the list of postponed races. So, um, yeah, I mean, he sort of outlines in this motorsport article, Braun does, uh, that there are some real you know, tricky things to do with uh, rescheduling races. He says, for instance, Singapore is difficult to move because it's a street circuit. Um, And those are hard because the logistics involved in putting it all together and moving it to a different weekend is very difficult. Whereas tracks are easier, Um, but it does depend on the type of race it is. Looking around at those schedules, there are some races at slightly odd times, but they would still be okay from a weather perspective. But, like, this is all just conjecture, right? Like, this is all, everything is constantly changing. Um, There are, uh, you know, certain rules in place per country um, that you would have to contend with. Uh, The Portimao circuit in Portugal has apparently gained FIA grade one license, which you uh, Mm. need in order to hold a Formula One race. Um, but as this crash.net article points out, uh, that remains unlikely given that circus with contracts currently on the calendar will take priority, uh, while travel restrictions also remain in place, uh, in Portugal. So, um, Silverstone is trying to help saying that you could do multiple races there and even one in reverse, which, uh, again, I think was just a totally, uh, you know, spur of the moment thing thrown out there because, um, one chain bear on YouTube did a, a really informative video about what it would actually take to run a reverse race in Silverstone. And mm. it kind of makes, it kind of doesn't seem like it would be so hard. Yeah. Just flip, flip the cars around. They're going to go into the pit backwards or whatever, but, but that would mess up with runoff areas. So right? that's the thing. Like, and, and ah. the thing that he points out, uh, in the, in the video, very, um, uh, very well with, uh, lots of good graphics. Um, is that, yeah, you can't just, like, if you imagine coming down into a corner at this high speed, the normal way, you get a long runoff of gravel and then tire barriers, right? Uh, but if you flip that around, the circuit is not anticipating you coming the other direction, and so there is no runoff. It's just a grandstand, right? And so... Gosh, imagine Monaco in reverse. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, like, theoretically, you could do it, but, like, the money that it would take to convert that circuit into reversible uh doesn't make any sense um he does point out in that video that uh bahrain paul ricard and hockenheim all have alternate layouts like you know there are other parts of the track that you can incorporate um uh, or even in the case of silverstone there are kind of two uh, racetracks that they combine together when they do a formula one race and you could theoretically run them uh in the proper uh, um, direction, but there's a rule in the uh, Formula One regulations saying that there is a uh, you, you cannot race a on a uh, a course less than three and a half kilometers. Yeah. However, the blue flags would be insane. Monaco, Imagine doing is less than three point five. So exceptions could yeah. be made. Question marks. 
But then, but then that yeah, and that's the big blue frag problem they have in Monaco as well. Like you could run the 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 like most of these circuits have halfway points where weekend drivers go on them. Like think of Abu Dhabi's big. Um, uh, whenever there's any other races there, they just jump over that middle part, but it just creates such a massive backlog. You really start to see the discrepancy between the teams, um, which would be in a shame. This, I'm, I'm just saying they should do the Nordschleife. Yes, hope, yes exactly where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> let's go the opposite way. Let's do Spa's original course. Give the teams <laughs> space to social distance around Nordschleife. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> like, don't even, we don't even have to worry about people getting lapped. How well, about no, don't have to, don't have to worry about spectators being able to see anything. It's just helicopters all day long. Hey, you know how you uh, they have those racing competitions in parking lots where they just put cones down, and it's yeah. like a amateur like thing type stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, why don't we all go out to the Bonneville Salt Flats, put some <laughs> cones down, and have us a big race? Yeah, let's see how the tires do. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd I'd watch it. So one of the things that. Uh, like in order for there to be a valid world championship, I guess they have to run eight races across three continents. Oh, I didn't and realize it was the, that's there the was world. a continent restriction. I knew there was eight races, but yeah. So uh, this, this seems... is an MLB can't be world champions unless you <laughs> step true. out of the country a couple of times. Yeah. So that does like that seems that seems solvable though. Like honestly. Um, you know, you can like. I am sure there is a way you can get some kind of race done in Austin. Uh, Japan seems to be handling this reasonably well. There's a decent chance you could run there. Um, but in terms of just the logistics of when this thing starts to become viable, uh, and the other thing is, I think the TV de- the TV deal has a sliding scale based on like canceled races. They're not gonna like so. There's a lot of fees that just start getting cut down if uh, they run a short season. But it does sort of seem like uh, a lot of the teams need some sort of salvage season. And one of the things that, uh, you know, Braun Braun has gone ahead and said is that they should be looking at doing uh, closed circuit races, basically empty stands. And that's already meeting with resistance. For instance, one of the races they, you know, floated that with was Zandvoort. And the Zandvoort organizer is like, hell no. The the return to uh, the Netherlands of F1 is a big celebration. We're not going to, we, doing an empty stands race isn't what we want uh, for, for the inaugural uh, return of the Dutch Grand Prix. And I understand that, but also part of me is like, man, we like if we're making this work, like we all like F1 and its organizers need to be thinking like this is kind of an all hands on deck situation here's here's the thing right i don't want to sound like a like a skipping record on this uh, for the past couple of weeks there is no chance we're going to have a real season this year there never there hasn't been for months there is very little chance of there being a handful of circuits run this year and the reason is that f1 isn't like a lot of other sporting bodies that can pivot that own the teams or that they're all part of this pact that own where the races are going to happen all this everyone is basically in like uh, they're they're trying to sort themselves out 
there are the reason F1 hasn't like come out and said that they're not going to do these races is because of all those contracts is because they have to make it look like for everyone that they're trying their best to make something happen. They're always going to be the most optimistic about this whole thing. And then for the circuits, they're all going to try and make sure that they no none of them want to be the circuit that has to run empty. But the reality is we are not going to have crowds of people probably in 2020 anywhere in the world like it's it's not going to happen you're not going to have audiences there is going to be no sport run this year it would be insane for it to happen and there are some countries that are sort of slower on the take on it so i think being in the in the wet in the u.s having most of my media coming from europe there's like this massive disparity i feel like in in understanding at least in the cities we're in i feel like people are probably a bit more that way but when it comes to like running a large event there is absolutely no chance that's going to happen not in a million years especially not in f1 where people are going to come out of from different countries on top of that the teams are just not ill-equipped the two hardest hit countries in europe are england and italy which is where most of the teams are so they're not covers all of them but, but, right, probably, yeah. right? Um, so the idea that like they're going to run... Nobody wants to be the circuit that has to run this thing empty. Nobody wants to... Like, if you're asking Ferrari to go anywhere where they have basically been in, you know, isolation for coming on two months now, and then they're going to hop in a plane and, like, be... Like, it's not just about people in the stands. It's about people working together in any way. Like, it's... So the idea of any of this being a possibility, like I understand that they're trying to make the best out of it, but there's no season, there's no championship this year, 100%. There's no way that's going to happen, not in a million years. And all of you, this you sort don't of think like... You could get eight races in, even behind closed what, doors? No, no chance. Wow, okay. I, I, I don't know, where where would they be? Like, let's, let's go down through it. Like, Australia's not happening. Japan, I could... I don't see any European team going there. I, I can't see people... Well, yeah, but I mean, traveling, but so this is one of the tricky things where there's like four or five reasons why these things won't happen. You know what I mean? Like for each one, there's a very good reason why none of this should happen, which is that it like the, it it seems pretty clear, like the best way to get this under control is to impose these, impose and maintain these extreme social distancing uh, measures that we have. But nobody like, there are so many businesses that are threatened by this that there is a pretty major incentive for the for F1 to try to figure out how can we make this work because if if you lose four outfits or five outfits from this lost season you effectively no longer have a sport uh and so like this is like so my counterpoint to all that which which is if this were just a public health decision i would i would agree like none of this should probably be on the table uh but the issue is that until there's some guarantee that these operations their losses we've made good or at least mitigated uh there's going to be incentive to try to figure out some way however improbable however dubiously advisable to make this work uh I do think the empty venue race is a possibility once we're sort of past the peak of this. And if there's some kind of like effective testing regime, uh, though, though I do also understand like the tempo at which they need to operate means you can no longer have the um, sort of the quarantine interval between races. You, you would need to be moving people around too rapidly for that. But I think there's going to be pressure to get some kind of season done here. I, uh, I think there's pressure, but there's pressure coming. There's 
I don't think any decision will ever happen because there's... I, I totally agree with you. Like, the smaller teams are fucked. Like, I don't know what, how, what they're going to do to this. A lot of larger teams are going to have a, a big problem with this. There is going to be a global recession that is going to make all of these points null and void in the next six months anyway. But I think the biggest problem they're going to have here is that, like, let's take the Zandvoort thing. For that to happen, you need not only for the country itself to basically be okay with people going there, or if they're not, let's say they say, okay, we can run a race there without anyone. Then you need the people in in 10 different teams to agree. That's people who are, you know, working on the marketing team to the pit crew to the drivers to agree to put themselves in danger. You need 10 teams to do that. Then you need to, to make sure, like, what's the threshold for any of these businesses surviving? Like, is it eight races? Is it 15 races? I'd say it's probably 19 or 20. Like, how big is the, how much burn rate can they possibly have? How much headroom can they have? How much runway can they have? Probably not much. Probably not enough for less than half the races for all the money that's going to come in from all those. So I, I just, I think that like, there's a lot of positive thinkings, and I agree that like there's a lot of teams that will want this to happen, but there's so many obstacles for any single one of these races to happen. And I think they probably need more, like the vast majority of them to happen and all of these, uh, all this money to keep flowing in on top of the fact that they're going to be hurting outside of the season. There's like, this is going to have economic consequences. It's going to completely shutter a lot of these teams anyway. So I, I just think there's like, I think we're kind of looking at the top of the iceberg on this one. And it's like, it's so much more of a bigger deal and it's a slow motion car crash. And yeah. if we kind of look at the macro size of this thing, like... Yeah, I'd be real surprised if Haas is still around. I'd be real surprised if Williams survived this. I'd be really, really surprised if F1 looks anything the way it looks like. Like we're in 12 months time, in six months time, in 24 months time. I don't know. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is probably a lot worse than than what F1 is is trying to put out there. Not to be the not to be the fucking wow, black fifth pillars wire. I know, right? Uh, yeah, is <laughs> here with the here with the COVID update. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is a weird thing because I suspect one of the other things, one of the countervailing forces in this is there is kind of some magical thinking driving some decision making, and rather terrifyingly, like I can see some governments come late summer, come early autumn desperately wanting some sort of like reopening of the economy and some able to some capacity to run these events whether that's advisable i don't know um you know we currently have a government here that would probably happily like march people off to uh off a cliff to to like restore the normal economic operations mm. of the country in some way uh uk seems to be in a somewhat similar boat uh i think by the autumn you have those pressures will be intensified even yeah. on governments who to date have been more responsible uh and more forward-looking on this crisis my guess like my, my fear is that by late summer early autumn you have a desperation to get some of these things reopened and back to normal operations that could be bad for the world that could be bad for public health could be good for people who want to see some fashion of F1 racing uh, at the end of all this. How many because, races did he squeeze in at that stage? Like, Well, so the thing they seem to be smartly doing is they're realizing that you would be focusing on the European leg. 
they're they're basically talking about like one of the reasons Silverstone said we can operate multiple races is because that's basically the home race for all of F one. Like uh, even Renault is basically a UK operation. They have they have a division in France, but as I understand it, most of the operations they do are based out of the UK. So I think there is some sense that look, there is a way that we could do this in our backyard. Uh, I think it does get real tricky trying to do those events outside outside of Europe and even outside of uh, places with an even easy driving distance of the UK. Mm. I think one of the other things you might see go under, uh, you know, go under the wheels of the team bus here is the notion that the the FIA definition of a world championship means shit. F, an F1 season is what F1 says it is, right? We, yeah. We'll just say. Oh, you're the 2020 F1 champion. Doesn't who cares? Yeah, show me the we, pandemic so we, clause in here, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say like maybe they can figure out a way just to say, you know what? Yeah, it won't be it won't have, be an FIA World Championship. Who gives a shit? Didn't stop Formula E for multiple seasons. So the <laughs> so the 2020 champion ran at Silverstone like three times, and right. like once at Donington and once in Portugal. So Brands who, who Hatch. cares? We'll just yeah. <laughs> let's go uh, to all the touring car this, places. This is how we could bring it back. <laughs> this is like this could be the, like this would be the silver lining. It's just all the giants running at Magni Corps, boys. <laughs> I think you yeah, can we're do going that. to Portugal already, right? Let's yeah. do uh yeah, let's go back to all those beautiful do Valencia again. <laughs> but no, I mean I I don't know. Like I think Danny, you're you're Esteril. Your pessimism makes a lot of sense to me. Like in terms of I can see this being a completely lost season, but the implication of if they can't get this thing restarted, the sheer number of things that means that will not be able to be restarted in some fashion yeah. by the end of the year is truly jaw-dropping. Like, it is one of those things where, and I think this is your point, we've not grappled with severity of this. We've not grappled with the transformational event that just hit our world. Hmm. Uh, but I haven't grappled with it. And I do have one podcast, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe by August, September, we can run in front of empty stands, even though the value proposition is completely upside down for the organizers at that point. Well, uh, yeah, speaking of so uh, legendary British tracks, uh, Danny, mm. should we talk about some uh, other British legends? Yes, unfortunately, in the midst of all this, we have, uh, we've lost a, a great uh, Sterling Wasp passed away at the age of 90 uh, last week. He had been sort of outside of the public eye for a number of years. He, I think it was um, a chest infection or something he got um, a number of years back, four or five years ago in, in Singapore in that kind of... Um, the, he recovered from it, but the uh, the sort of fallout from it was that he was kind of he has been sick. He's been sick for a while, um, uh, as you can imagine, somebody at that age as well. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, you know obviously a if you don't know about Sterling Moss, he he was kind of one of the he was a quintessential sort of gentleman driver. The the everyone loved him. He never won a championship. He came close four or five times. Um, and, uh, but, but he was, you know, a, a, a name at the top of his field for a number of years. He had 16 wins, 24 podiums, 185 career points, 16 pole positions and 19 fastest laps. Um, was kind of known for, uh, beating his, uh, his rivals in, in underperforming cars. Um, he would, he would wrangle the best out of the machine that he was given, um, uh, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I wanted to take one little sort of anecdote, which is sort of the famous Sterling Moss anecdote, which is that he never won a a championship, but he can't, he perhaps could have won one had he not been such a gentleman. Um, I pulled this one from EssentiallySports.com uh, with some quotes from F1 reporter Morris Hamilton, and I'm just going to read it out to you. Um, Sterling was runner-up four times in the World Championship, and the closest he got was 1958, and it went right down to the very last race. Two races prior to that, Sterling Moss was in pole position, and during the last lap, uh, Hawthorne lost control and started spinning around the track. In order to regain access to the track, he had to go against the traffic in the escape road. So when the officials found uh, this out, they excluded him, hence he was going to score no points. Sterling Moss, of his own volition, approached the stewards and told them the truth of the matter. He explained that Hawthorne wasn't actually on the track at the time when he tried to rejoin. Instead, he was on a pavement getting a push start, which wasn't illegal. Evidently, the stewards agreed and restored Hawthorne's second place. During the race, he earned seven points, which ultimately decided the championship. I believe Moss won by, uh, lost the championship that year by one. Um, Hamilton revealed uh, that when he interviewed Sterling Moss about the incident, he explained the circumstance. However, Moss knew that he could lose the championship if he spoke up. He said, no boy, that never crossed my mind. Wow. So... Sort of a quintessential gentleman, a fantastic driver and a driver's driver. Never won a championship, but was certainly the champion of many British race car fans' hearts. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Um, well, from gentlemen drivers, drivers to uh, the exact opposite, <laughs> Rob. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, soon. So... So, so the race drivers are doing some esports, uh, and during a NASCAR uh, during a NASCAR iRacing event, uh, Kyle Larson, who mm. is a uh, sort of I, I don't know how much of a rising star he is. So um, this is we're outside my comfort zone. He's a NASCAR driver. Uh, I don't know if he's I don't know he's a, I know he's a name. I don't know how like prominent he is or, I think or he's a five-time world champion rob i think he's a oh shit uh yeah, he's got an energy yeah. drink named after <laughs> huge loss then uh yeah no but uh so they're starting the session and he apparently is doing a mic check and he's like can y'all hear me and then says hey n-word and the session is already streaming at that point you hear a number of other drivers uh handle it not with a plum. Hmm. <laughs> You've got somebody being like, hey, uh, everybody can hear you, bud. And Connor Daly just uh, says, yikes. Um, so not quite the... I don't know. There's, there's a weird vibe if you watch the clip of... It's more the, ah, oh, fuck, we got to deal with... You know what I mean? It's, it's just one of those yeah. weird vibes of like, boy, I wish my buddy hadn't said that because that's going to yeah. blow up in our faces. To, wow, to me they're going to replay this one over and over yeah, again. Yeah, to me it felt like, oh no, we're live. I have no idea how to handle this. All right. Just to be fair, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that would be tough. Uh, but, uh, so... NASCAR put him under investigation, uh, suspended him, and that might be moot anyway because he drives for uh, Ganassi Racing, and Ganassi Racing fired him uh, today, I think it was. Wow. Uh, so he lost his seat uh, from this. Now, this is especially... There is an irony here, uh, which is that Kyle Larson... I believe is an alumna, an alumnus of NASCAR's like drive for diversity program. Huh. Uh, so 
He is a uh, Asian American from California. And so prior to this would have been held up as, uh, you know, kind of an example of the sports increasing diversity. It's attempt to break away from uh, images and stereotypes of NASCAR from the past, um, which to be fair, I think it would probably be, it, it would be way too reductive to say, ah, this is NASCAR being NASCAR. This is an American story, right? Like this, this, this is uh, one of the ways that NAS- that racism presents itself in American life these days. Uh, you know, this, this brand of racism uh, doesn't, isn't confined by any means and be na- naive to pretend uh, that it's all, you know, the domain of Southern racists who are straight from, you know, our stereotypes about clan country and such, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, do- this does not go away. Uh, and, I think it would be I, I would just caution people against sort of the knee jerk response of saying this is a, you know, revealing incident about NASCAR. Um, I think this is just kind of a revealing incident about how racism like, you know, if we didn't know already, we are not going to demographically beat racism. It's not that the non-racist younger generation is going to come along mm. and sweep all of it aside. Uh, it is persistent. Its roots are deep. We were saying yesterday when we were recording the Patreon exclusive podcast that it was particularly whiplashy considering we had just watched the documentary about uh, Willie T. Ribs' rise through various uh, American racing ranks um, and the NASCAR stuff, the, the sort of in racism, especially during that era, because it was like, what were we talking? It was like 80s, mid 80s, early 80s, maybe late 70s that he was driving mm-hmm. in some of those. Yeah, um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty stark. So, yeah. People, fuck it, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad he's 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 gotten the boot for it. You just fucking hell. It would just be a lot better for everyone if this stupid shit didn't happen, you know? Yeah, and I'm you know, um, in a lot of ways, I'm I'm glad I guess that his firing was so swift and swift, like yeah. a, you know, an example was made out of him. Hopefully that you know. People take notice of that. I, I'm just so sorry. Like how many examples have to be made? That's, I mean, that's crazy the thing, right? People it's keep just, doing this. Yeah. Um, I'm really surprised. I didn't know he was from, he's from Northern California and he's 27. Like I, he's like, yeah, I'm from Northern California and not 27, not but 27. I'm, I'm around that. <laughs> I can't, I, I yeah. know no one who ever talked like this. So I totally. don't know where yeah. this comes from, but man. Yeah, it feels so alien, I, I, and I think it's it's the effortlessness at, at which he said it yeah. that is so like unnerving. You're like, oh man, there are just you know, speaking as a as a as a Irish guy in America, <laughs> you know, it's or a white person in America. It's like there are people who are just like way more <laughs> fast and loose with their their racism than I, I I understand. It's crazy. Rob, have you sorted out your dog? It was a lot, your video went and there was a lot of squeaking and we did you kill your dog? Uh no, she's she's being uh good-ish. Um okay. but uh she's gotten into some stuff uh and it is being handled in the background right now. Nice. Uh Sorry. so we can just fill for the moment. <laughs> this is our new reality. Sorry. Well, um yeah, anything else to say on this guys? No. Yeah. I hope we don't have to report on any of these 
ever again. But uh, there was one more uh, NASCAR driver who. Uh, oh, great! Wow, that was fast. <laughs> who stepped in it? Jeez. Well, okay. So yeah, <laughs> oh, Bubba this guy. Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, Bubba Wallace was doing a uh, iRacing event, and he just quit out of a virtual race uh, after being wrecked by another driver. Um, and one of his sponsors for the esports uh, for the esports event, uh, Blue Emu, sort of made a point of. Uh, Bubba Wallace's position was after he quit the race was like, who gives a shit? It's 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 e racing. Like I don't I don't care. I'm not like that. That race was <laughs> that race was a piece of crap. I wasn't going to finish that. I got better things to do. Uh, and so their sponsor kind of went out and uh, said, "Good to know where you stand. Bye bye, Bubba. We're interested in drivers, not quitters." Uh, sort of like and at first I was kind of like, okay, this guy you know sounds like a bit of an asshole. Uh, I watched the clip. I might have quit that race too, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. Uh, I don't blame him. Like Clint Boyer, just like squeezes him against the wall, and Bubba sort of forces his way through, and then Clint just comes over and just like basically checks him with the side of his car into the wall and just like destroys his car. Um, and it was one of those things where that's that's going to be a fairly long race, and you just had somebody acting like a complete jackass out there who just tanked it at the start. It was basically Clint Boyer acted like a griefer and Bubba did what you do when you, when you're dealing with a griefer, you quit. Uh, I don't blame him for that. What this seems to reveal is the fact that people have approached these races with real different standards of behavior yeah. and seriousness. And I don't know how marshalling is hand- like handled during these online. <laughs> Yeah. Like you start an F1 race is a reason why they ghost everyone on the first corners of a lot of these games. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, too. Uh, yeah. So that like I understand why people were like, hey, Bubba, this is this is serious, uh, you know, competitive gaming. Like you should give it a fair shot. But this is one of those weird things where you would never see this kind of thing in a high level Counter-Strike match because the stakes are really high for these teams. Uh, and because the game doesn't really allow that sort of griefing behavior to express itself, uh, well, like if you if you start like team killing, I guess, uh, you know yeah. that could be a thing that 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 you know wraps you. But when I watched this clip, I was like, you know, Bubba, you made a good choice, I think, for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's especially you know, if you're not if if you're not confident in the officiating, right? If he doesn't think that Clint Boyer is going to get. A penalty for this which varies across these virtual races right so i think that's it's i think this is something we're going to see evolve really rapidly over this off season because it does feel like just from sheer boredom we're not going to see uh like e-motorsports go away because there's too many of these guys who are into the sim racing scene. So whether or not you have MSN, like not MSNBC, whether or not you have NBC sports still in there, like, like broadcasting and producing some of these streams, uh, it seems like you're going to continue to see competitive sim racing, uh, throughout this extended off season. One of the things I expect we're going to see evolve is how these things are, being enforced and the expectations that are set with these drivers right now they're right now they're just very eager to get anyone into these events uh who's a name 
but that's not going to be sustainable if some people are like, okay, yeah, I want to have a serious sim race, and there's other people who are like, oh, hell yeah, it's bumper cars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, should we take it to some emails, Danny? How about that? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com, or you can go to f1.cool slash emails, which is a website that works again, and you might have your email read out, like this one from Aaron. Uh, if you're uh, into Gran Turismo, you should definitely listen to, to this one. Uh, Aaron says, Hey, Rob, Drew, and Danny, you may or may not have seen on Twitter recently that Martin Brundle's son, Alex, who is a well-accomplished racing driver in his own right, has been setting lap times on Gran Turismo and challenging his followers to beat him. Here's a link to a recent Nürburgring Nordschleife challenge. Um, and we'll include that in the show notes. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I couldn't get anywhere near his time. Seems I'm about as good at racing games as Danny. Uh, but one thing I did notice Burn. was Alex... Yeah, well, he's not wrong. <laughs> I did notice was Alex's custom livery for the competition. It got me thinking about how unfair it was that Shift F1 is underrepresented in the esports arena. Hmm. Uh, coronavirus has all but halted my work as a graphic designer for the time being, so I decided to fire up Illustrator, create some Shift F1-inspired decals, and upload them to the Gran Turismo servers. Unfortunately, you cannot create custom F1 liveries on there, so I've had to do the next best thing and create a Shift F1 livery on a Japanese... Can you say it, Drew? Super Formula! Car. I have attached some pictures of my sleek matte black creation, complete with some reworked classic F1 sponsor logos for each of you. Uh, you get Canon Drew. Oh, awesome. Uh, you get you get Martini Rob. And uh, I got Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Aaron knows a little bit too much about my past. Um, you should be able to grab the livery and decals yourself by going to Discover on Gran Turismo homepage and then searching in liveries and decals for Shift F1. That is one word, Shift F1. Um, he also says, my, newser, my username is R... I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. It's A-R-N-H-W-S. A-R-N-H-W-S. Uh, if any other listeners fancy popping by for some laps, keep up the good work and see you on the other side of the lockdown. Um, we'll attach some pictures somewhere in the show notes, but uh, I put them here in the document, gentlemen. It looks absolutely amazing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, this looks great. The uh, the I think the color on the um, on the wings is the thing that I enjoy the most. The use of the red of our logo, mm-hmm. those red stripes. Um, we should probably give a shout out to our logo master as well. Yeah, Cal Scoothorpe, aka at BuzzClick on Twitter, um, created the logo and the and the the logo type as well, which is not a font. Yeah. He actually handcrafted uh, the letters Shift F one. Um, yeah, he yeah. recently put up a, a vector of it. I, I have think. a vector. Yeah, it's not. I you know just you suck in send Discord me a message or something. Yeah, yeah. If you, you if you want it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much to Aaron. And yeah, if you're playing uh, Gran Turismo, go check that out. And I think uh, I think I'm going to do that after this podcast. Uh, Drew, do you want to read this next one? Yes, this is from I'm going to say Rohit, uh, who says I'm a new fan that was introduced to the sport through F1 Drive to Survive. I have a quick question that I think will go a long way to helping bringing in novices like myself. Over the course of the two seasons, I've definitely gravitated towards certain drivers, Ricardo, Ocon, Leclerc, Albon, based on their narratives on the show. I feel like the next level of fandom is to start recognizing and appreciate the technical styles of each individual driver. While I've picked up little nuggets here and there, Ricardo as king of the late breakers, and know that a lot of the success of the drivers is based on the car that they drive, where can I go to learn more about 
current drivers' style and tendencies. Uh, obviously, nothing is going to be a better indicator than old races, but is there anything else I can consult? I really want to know the differences between the drivers so I can pick the right team to support, as well as gain a finer appreciation for the sport. I look forward to your response. Keep up the great work, and thank you for making the paddock a little less complicated for noobs like me. Uh, oh, thanks. That's very kind. Um, hmm. I think, uh, as you have discovered, this is tricky. Uh, I think it's because that the drivers may want to keep at least some of this a secret. Um, you know, you don't get a lot of... Sometimes they'll do those track walks where they use the F1 2019 game or maybe their own simulator to say, like, you know, oh, you want to stay wide here, uh, downshift, downshift, but they don't really talk in very fine detail about how they race. Yeah. Um, so you can you can gain some insight by watching things like the onboards, um, side by sides are also pretty fun. F1 tends to put up those, uh, sometimes when a qualifying time is particularly close. Um, and you can get a sense of, you know, maybe how smooth drivers are. Um, although that, that's tough because that can also be down to the car as well and how well it's balanced and tuned. Um, you do also occasionally hear snippets from drivers about other drivers on podcasts like Beyond the Grid or something, or even interviews. Uh, I was just watching a clip of uh, Alex Albin and um, Charlotte Claire uh, live streaming on Twitch, and Albin's like trying to commentate Leclerc's lap as he's doing it. Um, yeah. and he's really bad at it, but he one of the things he says is like, "Wow, you break so late." Um, so that, that was interesting. Also, drivers tend to develop uh, a reputation for their style of driving. Like you said, Ricardo is king of the late breakers. Senna had a reputation for making you decide whether you want to crash or not, or, or cede him the position. Um, Prost was called the professor because he was so analytical and precise about everything. Um, but in terms of do they, you know, does this driver turn in earlier than everyone else? That's tough for me uh, without looking at, um, you know, side by side or uh, telemetry. So um, I generally just try to get a feel from watching them race over race. Um, it's, you know, it's not precise, but it's, it's kind of all I can do. Hamilton to me is, um, smooth, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, Verstappen of course is, you know, has a reputation for being daring and also has an uncanny feel for the car in wet weather. Um, Mm. Magnuson harasses people and makes them nervous, which is why I really like him. Uh, what, what, uh, what, what senses have drivers have you guys gotten? Yeah, it's weird. It's I always feel like we talk about these things in the sort of broad strokes um, that we can... Because there's so much data happening in any one race. We're like watching so many things and so many drivers. Um, Verstappen's ability to, especially in wet weather, to find grip in other parts of the track where other piece searches for grip in a way that a lot of other drivers don't. Like he goes off the racing line, um, which you tend to not do so much in, in, dry, in, wet, in dry races because then you're just going to encounter marbles and it's not really worth it. Um, there's a, a this sort of caused me to look up some stuff um, and I found a link to a, a really good um, uh, autosport article where they went into the particulars between Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. This would have been seven or eight years ago. 2013, um, yeah, it looks like. And yeah, it was, and it tackled the sort of aspects of this that we don't really get to see, which is the amount of pressure that they're putting on the brakes, um, how loose they're letting the car be, <clears throat> like when do they sort of take the turn? Do they take it earlier? Do they um, 
you know, go for more RPM before the apex or after the apex. Um, it's not just about dr- driving lines, but it's about how they handle the back of the car while it's taking turns, how they handle uh, the accelerator and uh, the, the the method in which they brake. Um, and it was really interesting. There's a, I'll just read off one little um, uh, paragraph here about Vettel. It says, like Alonso, Vettel is a medium hard on the brakes, but less brutal with the initial steering. He prefers the car to be quite nervous and pointy on entry and is ready to remove some of the initial lock once the front has gripped and caused the rear to step out. He has a great feel for pivoting the car in this way to quicken its direction change. Wow. And I, it, yeah, it, it's that type of stuff, right? We just, we don't, we don't get to see and also we don't know how that changes in qualifying when you're less worried about tire wear for instance or you know how that affects you if you're in dirty air or if you're leading or if you're chasing so it's funny like i wish we did know more about that i wish there was more analysis of that type of style because um i'm kind of like yeah the the emailer I i don't feel like i have a really good handle on on that i wonder if the drivers do on their contemporaries you know? i imagine they do i imagine especially if it's your teammate you're probably looking at film of him all the time uh, but i i think this it takes uh, a lot of skill and knowledge to ascertain that from things like camera footage you know without mm. getting access to the team's telemetry uh and then it also takes a certain level of understanding to even interpret what this <laughs> magazine article is saying you know like yeah. uh to know that lock means steering angle i i mm. think right uh rob what do you think yeah i think this is a really tough thing for uh fan amateur fans to follow uh you know, when you hear people talk about, like, suspension geometry and the effect that has on a car, that is a thing that drivers can very quickly internalize and, like, think about, okay, well, that's going to affect the cars the, car, the cars in these ways. Uh, that's Greek to me. I don't, I don't know yeah. how that's going to impact handling. And I think a lot of times when we talk about driving style, sometimes what we're talking about is different from what a professional mm-hmm. would be talking about. Like, uh, you know, Drew, what you were saying there about, like, you know, Verstappen versus Hamilton, in some ways these are more like issues of temperament, the things we can observe from these drivers in crunch time. Yeah. But in terms of how do these guys handle a lap, this is really tough to see without the access to telemetry. Uh, this is why everybody needs to embrace that tire life uh, meter that the, 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 <laughs> that uh, F1 sort of yeah. floated there. Because I think <laughs> one of the things that probably does give you the like a decent uh, bellwether for driver, driving style is to a degree, like what kind of wear do you see on your tires? Um, you know, there's, there's other things you can observe as well, but they like smoothness sometimes comes at the expense of overall speed. Uh, it can be tricky to like one of the things that makes truly great drivers so impressive is that they can maintain incredibly uh, fast lap times without taking a real toll on their tires. Uh, but for most folks, that's going to require a bit more pushing because uh, they don't have the feel to get that sort of smooth performance out of the car. And so in some ways, you know, you almost look for in terms of driving style, in terms of predisposition, it feels to me like you, you need telemetry access data, not just to see what drivers do, but to see where they choose to err, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
Danny Ricardo being sort of famous for being really aggressive on breaks in some ways also reveals that when he needs to find time, when he's, when he needs to create it out of a run, he has more confidence maybe in his ability to work the breaks than find that time in another aspect of his game. Uh, but all of this stuff is really tough to assess without doing a lot of like side-by-side comparison footage, which you can do. There's a lot of in-car footage of how guys do different uh, lap times. But in terms of the telemetry data that the teams keep hold of uh, and how they go, you know, how they attack each sector, that information is tougher to get. And I think, unfortunately, that's where the real insight can be gleaned about driving style. Uh, but you can get a lot about temperament just by seeing how drivers compete when the chips are down. Um, and I think that that tends to be the, the level that I'm operating on when I discuss, uh, you know, drivers different approaches yeah i the last thing i'll say here is um i I, i've been messing around a little more in iRacing these days and i do think that a you know a a more realistic simulator like that especially with a force not even especially with a force feedback wheel can give you a little more of a sense of the feel required and the like uh millisecond by millisecond decisions that drivers make um you know, it won't make you an expert. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but like it just gives you a little more of an appreciation for what taking a corner is like. So, uh, yeah, I recommend it. Uh, should we move on to this next one here? Yeah. Uh, Arlo asks us about tracks we dislike. Hi, Danny, Drew, and Rob. Earlier this week, a bunch of F1 drivers, Charles Leclerc, uh, George Russell, Alex Albon, Nicholas Latifi, among many others, hosted a charity stream playing F1 2019. How they chose tracks during the stream was by Latifi drawing th- drawing from randoms, dra- drawing randomly out of the box. Nice. Before the stream had officially started, Alex Albin kept begging for it not to be Monaco. And when Latifi <laughs> wound up drawing Abu Dhabi as their first track, everyone in the voice chat groaned very loudly. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because I'd never seen drivers react bluntly about the tracks they're racing on, and was wondering if drivers in the past were as vocal about the tracks they drove. Anyway, I wanted to ask you three, what tracks on the calendar, both past and present, did you not enjoy either watching or racing on in Sims and video games? Cheers from Manila. Let's go for ones we like as well, just so we're not... Uh, or not just because I feel like there's only so many times I can complain about Circuit Paul Ricard before <laughs> before French <laughs> right. people stop listening to the podcast. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of that one at all. It's funny how, like, yeah, there's a you kind of hear. I didn't know Abu Dhabi was one that people didn't like. Uh, I, I don't know why that never came up. I wonder if there has to be like a certain threshold of people complaining about a track before it sort of seeps out of the paddock and into the wider discourse or something. Um, I've always heard people like Interlagos. Um, mm-hmm. I like Interlagos as well. I think it's a, or uh, I think it's a an interesting track it always happens near a fun part of the season as well maybe that's why abu dhabi is kind of not so bad um i'm not mad on autodromo hermanos rodriguez yeah i'm with you nothing really seems to happen there much like i don't know that one seems a little bit bit of a wet blanket i think as japan and united states are on the other sides of it normally as well it kind of feels like a bit of a dip because i really like suzuka but I don't really know why I like Suzuka. I think I like Suzuka because it's it reminds me of like watching F1 in the 90s or something. There's an element I mean, of that. 
Yeah, there's there's part of this is just the reputation. Like some circuits just have a mystique about them. Yeah. Uh, a, you know, a bit like Augusta in golf or something like that. <laughs> uh, where, you know, it, whether or not they reliably produce great racing is just kind of an important place. Now, the place where I, I make an exception is Monaco. Monaco can go to hell. I don't like Monaco uh, much either. Yeah. No, I, I don't like, I think it is reliably a dull race uh, that is substantially decided on qualifying day. I understand that it's enormously challenging, but that's, it's enormously challenging because it hasn't evolved with the sport. Like it's just there, like the geography of Monaco is totally unsuitable to modern F1 has been for ages. Uh, I do not race it in the F1 games when they mm. come out. Like I will do as few sessions as possible to allow me to sim that race. And then I will just skip <laughs> it because it is an infuriating, uh, frustrating track. Um, but other circuits, um, yeah, like Abu Dhabi, I kind of get. I don't know why it is that Abu Dhabi doesn't do much for me. It just feels like a really, first of all, it feels like two different circuits sort of stapled together. Mm. And none of it feels particularly conducive to generating good on-track action, right? It, it feels like... Uh, it, it feels like there's a, there's a very few attacking opportunities, uh, but there's not a lot of space to steadily reel people in and make a few attacks at them. Uh, but in terms of like circuits that I adore, like Spa is probably the highlight of my year. I like Canada a lot. Yeah, me too. That's a great circuit. There's something. Yeah, well, I think I don't know what it is. It it feels like two. I don't know what it is. I it feels it feels like really frenetic. Like it feels like it has two sections, not three. It has the really frenetic part, and then it has the straight. And the straight yeah. is almost like you get to breathe for a second, <laughs> even though it's where most of the overtakes actually happen and the wall of champions not. But it feels like ah a little bit. Whereas like the, the whole sections between that is all like eking out sector corner times off someone it's kind of like all the good work you did in the first half you see in the on the straight or something like that yeah feels good yeah i think sometimes there's something to be said for and this is kind of the critique of the tilka design track right which is that they could all feel a little bit too uh too like overly engineered that they could feel a little bit interchangeable Mm. and i think what makes some of the classic tracks distinctive is that they have some extremes you don't find in more modern venues mm-hmm. you know spa there's there's elevation shifts at spa that you just don't find elsewhere because <laughs> yeah. of where the race is located uh i think i think canada is one of those places where it has this really interesting straight and the, the funny thing is it's interesting in a way that i think the straights at uh straights at china china uh yeah. the straight in indonesia when they uh or baku re- maybe Baku, um, I kind of like Baku. That's the one yeah. I was going to say. Is it doesn't always produce amazing races, but when it does, it's a, it's incredible, and it oh, it makes me excited whenever we go there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a whole there's a big section of the middle of Baku which is very boring, but I no, think but that, maybe it's but the drivers don't know it so well. shit there. Yeah, that's true. Like there's the mini golf aspect of yes. it, where <laughs> it's like you have to go through the little <laughs> castle. Well, turn two is also like haunted or something. Like, we've seen such random stuff happen there. Like, Ricardo reversing into another car and the guy in F2 who did his 50-point turn trying to get out of there. I think that's, th- that's turn three, I think. Is that three? 
Uh, yeah, because you go through you go through the first no, it's ninety two. left. You go through yeah. the second ninety left, no, it's then you have a long left. run. Okay, is it? Yeah, yeah. Because after the second left, you have the long run into the chicane. Yeah, then it's into and an arena. that you can get dangerous amounts of speed. I don't I think, think that's where yeah, Grosjean crashed into the safety car as well. No, he no before turn two as well. That was yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Uh, it is cursed. Yeah, it's 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 weird. I really like Monza. I think if you know, we keep hearing all these stories of Monza getting cut from the calendar. I would be really upset if Monza got cut. Like, uh, do you not? You're shaking your head. Do you not like it? You're not a fan, Rob? No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm with you. Par- yeah. Like, Parabolic has a great turn. Yeah, uh, that is so like unique. it's superficially straightforward, but it's really tough to get the most speed out of it. And again, Monza is so incredibly fast. Like, yeah. there's so many. Uh, opportunities to just run up on somebody and try to break the outbreak them into the chicane. It has one slow advisable? turn, no. one slow corner, it, which you don't see in an F1. Like the Tilka tracks tend to have a couple of places where you're down into third gear, but like, aside from that chicane at the start, like it's you're just going for it the whole way. Yeah, I like uh, I like Circuit of the Americas. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't really like Sochi. Oh no, Sochi. Sucks. Oh, Sochi's dog shit. Yeah, Sochi's awful. But but that's also bad because I think it's ugly, right? Yeah. I think yeah. in addition to it not being an interesting layout, I think there is something really unappealing about the venue itself. Um, you can't see shit from the track. Like yeah. in terms of it being a seaside track, you, I would have no way of knowing that. It's like Valencia, where Valencia is like in this like really cultural city. But if you're on the sea circuit, it looks like the, if you're on the street circuit, it almost looks like they're driving around a dock or something. It's just, it's, there's nothing there. The bridge is fun, and that's about it. Um, but I did like, I, I like that circuit for other reasons, even though it's kind of not very pretty, especially if you've like been to Spain and seen how like pretty Spanish cities are. Um, Barcelona's good. I like that track a lot. I think I like most of the tracks, I think. And, and, and even tracks that I'm not a fan of, like Shanghai is not the most interesting. Um, I've come around on Shanghai. Yeah, there's parts of it I like. The, cor- the corkscrew, yeah, uh, yeah, like that's hairpin at the end of the front straight is just that's what, badass. What was the one we lost that was like that? Turkey, Malaysia, uh, oh, no um, Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah, I missed that one. I that liked was fun. Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, I liked the. I guess under two... new management. Yeah, is that's what? Yeah, I don't know if that was what killed the race. Yeah, Hungara Ring is fun, ish. Hockenheim. Yeah, I, I do miss going back to. Uh, well, I guess there's no Nordschleife, but I do miss the uh, Nurburgring popping back. Oh, see, this again. is weird. I don't, I don't like Nurburgring. I don't think I like. I think if I had to pick either, I would pick Hockenheim Ring. But I think I missed the novelty of it or something. But yeah, uh, so I'm with you. I, I, I it's think not for great. me, like not for F1 cars, Nurburgring stops being interesting once they moved all of it out of the forest. Yeah, like I think, like you don't need to run all of Nordschleife, but it used to be more of a spa-like track, mm. I think. Yeah. And over the years, it's become a really technical, uh, but somewhat claustrophobic course um, in ways that I don't find super interesting. Mm. I think Singapore is fun. Again, it's, it's one of those. Singapore is unusually fun yeah. for how. Yeah. It can kind of go either way. Singapore feels like it should suck. Singapore feels like it should be bad in the ways Monaco and Valencia could be bad. Yeah. And yet, for some reason, I don't know if it's because of where it lands in the season or whether it's just a good circuit needs to invite some exciting misjudgment. Yeah. And I think Singapore <laughs> yeah. does that. Singapore, right. like your first times through, you're like, okay, this is a this is not a forgiving track. But 
you can convince yourself eventually, <laughs> yeah. especially like yeah. in September in an F1 season, that like, no, I can do this. Totally. Like, hey, watch this. Yeah, in a way that Monaco, I don't think, ever lets lets you off the hook. Singapore kind of, it's wide enough that you can cause yourself problems. It's a fun one. Uh, will I read the next question? Sure. Cool. Uh, this is our final question. Uh, we did have another email I uh, wanted to mention briefly uh, from uh, Sabrina, who did a, a college paper on F1 carbon neutrality um, and mentioned us in it. So thank you so much, uh, Sabrina. That's for- cool bringing us to the beautiful world of academia um appreciate you sending that on uh, this one is from it's either gabrielle or gabriel um and uh, they are saying uh, about something to watch during the break i thought i'd pass this one on hey i just wanted to mention that if anybody wants to get some good racing to watch i would recommend the 2019 soup sorry <clears throat> the 2019 super formula season as it's all on YouTube, and I don't think you've mentioned it yet. It was a really great season, and the production values were weirdly charming in comparison to the super slick F1 broadcast. And you get to watch Suzuka twice. <laughs> there you go. I'm convinced. Last year, it was shown on the Let's Go Racing YouTube channel and has now become The Race. And here's a link to the first race at Suzuka. So I didn't know that. That that's I was wondering where that channel came from. Yeah, it was it's the, the old Let's Go Racing, which is the old Nismo TV. Right. Okay. So they did all this. Know. They did Super Formula and Super GT. I was wondering why I was subscribed to it on one of my channels because <laughs> I don't ever remember seeing it before. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, I won't say much more as not to spoil the season, but I doubt most people know who won. So it's a really good opportunity to watch and pretend it's all happening in 2020. Thanks for keeping the show going and keeping us entertained. Uh, so thank you so much, Gabriel, Gabrielle, for sending that one in. I'm uh, going to check that out. The full races are up there. So that yeah. seems like a really good one. It has good English one. commentary. Yes, right. Uh, so all the more reason to to check it out. I do wonder what we're going to do after Drive to Survive because we're gonna we're gonna have to drift into something else. We can't just do news podcasts. Every... Esports, baby. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that, those uh, those IndyCar iRacing uh, races are, are really fun. Yeah, and if I you wouldn't mind are... checking out some of these classic uh, in other in other racing disciplines. Although we did do a lot of that in our patron exclusive stuff last year. So <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I also think we should just start digging into some. I think we should start legislating some old controversies. <laughs> uh, okay. Like, let's really get into Michael Schumacher. Oh man, <laughs> we're gonna do it. Or even, or even, <laughs> just get into him and Vilnev. Hmm. Yeah, that was. Yeah. That recently resurfaced again. I think it was an anniversary or something. Um. Yeah, let's just do breakdowns of... Let's do the Take Inoue episode. Uh, let's by talk the way, about Eddie Irvine for two hours. If you have never heard of Super Formula, it's uh, the Japan-only open-wheel series. It's basically like Japan's IndyCar. Um, and it's fun. Looks, it, looks kick-ass. Yeah. It has the, the same reason I love the Suzuka aesthetic, I think, is why I like Super Formula's aesthetic. I'm 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 privately happy that our Gran Turismo car is a super formula car. Yes. They look pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah. They look video gamey. Yeah. Uh all right. So that's emails, huh? Um That's it. ShiftF1 Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to email us, you can also hit us up on Twitter at ShiftF1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the internet. Esports. 
Uh, we have been, well, not we, I have not, uh, but people on the uh, patron Discord, namely Corey and Tiger, have been organizing um, Shift F1 patron-only races. Mm. Um, so if you'd like to get in on that, uh, when you join the Discord, go to the welcome page and you can click a button to be included on um, a like sort of a discord club and then you'll get notifications when uh any of the games that you own uh are doing a um doing a race i've, I've hopped into f1 2019 races on the pc and uh, as well as iRacing races which has been really fun um and uh in terms of <laughs> i was about to say real esports <laughs> that's such a weird thing um <laughs> As we mentioned before, uh, Leclerc, Albin, Norris, Russell, Giovinazzi, and Latifi uh, have announced a new sim racing championship that uh, is aiming to raise $100,000 for the COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund um, over uh, the course of a week, the final round of which is on Friday of this week, April 17th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. I'm sorry, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Universal Time coordinated time and 6 p.m british standard time most of those guys will be streaming on twitch so if you want to catch that it will be all over twitter i'm sure uh, rob you've added a number of other esports things here as well yeah uh this is mostly some notes so one of the series i uh loosely follow is uh Velosa, Veloce's, not the GP mm-hmm. uh, series, which started really strong, but they appear to have moved to a knockout format for their events. Mm. Uh, so instead of doing multiple heat races leading up to a uh, leading up to a race, uh, they're going uh, for a series of like basically brackets uh, and doing like one v one knockout like races uh, to see who wins that seems like an an odd one but the reason i noted it is because norris was sort of asked whether or not he would be interested in doing like the uh f1 virtual gp series and norris kind of said not really because you mean for no this is norris oh uh this is even before the thing we were talking about uh norris was saying that in terms of these sort of sim racing native events uh, you get better racing and you have more serious sim racers. And Norris is part of that community. Like, this is authentically him. And so he prefers to do the uh, Velocity Esports type stuff uh, rather than the Virtual GP type stuff because the racing quality is a little bit higher. Oh, I see. Because he, he uh, has been doing... Well, he's been trying to do those official Formula One races. Yeah, and that did not go well. Um, there was a very funny clip uh, from what, last week or so where uh, Norris is streaming his attempt to take part in a uh, F1 2019 event uh, for a virtual GP. And this, I think, is being run via like the official F1 esports program. Mm-hmm. And he gets booted from the match. He can't join. He's not allowed to join the lobby, basically. And so this this event goes on without him. And so he's just sitting there in his rig, watching the race go on. And uh, Verstappen calls him, and they have a chat. And Verstappen just starts dragging the shit out of uh, out of F one twenty nineteen, but also the just event more broadly. 
And I think this is maybe one of the trickier things about the F1, the Codemasters F1 esports program and uh, F1's attempts at having uh, a, a sim racing community based on its own licensed property is that for the drivers who are most into the scene, Codemasters games don't really rate. And that's not, that's not a knock against Codemasters, but like they've never been in that iRacing or R-Factor uh, tier of... They're not designed sim- to be. Yeah, They're not. Totally. They're designed for guys like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who are like, I want to feel credible, but I also want to feel like I'm a badass race driver. Uh, iRacing is not interested in making me feel like a badass race driver <laughs> unless I am one. Yeah, yeah watch um, our track walk in a set of Corsa. <laughs> uh, race fans has a... Uh, sort of a, a roundup of uh, Norris's comments um, comparing iRacing and uh, F1 2019 a- across various streams, I guess. Um, so Norris says the official F1 license and popular PlayStation series Gran Turismo are, quote, too much like arcade games. You don't drive them anything like you do a real car. iRacing is more like a simulation program, so you have better feedback through the wheel. It feels more realistic, basically. It's more like a simulator in terms of how it feels through the wheel, the setup changes and stuff. Whereas F1, Gran Turismo, especially Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo is terrible. It feels nothing like the car. You just slide everywhere. It's rubbish because of that. That's why no one does it. Uh, He also says the game's handling, uh, referring to F1 2019, uh, is why, quote, Max doesn't play because it's nothing like an actual car. Whereas iRacing is a little bit like an actual car. Would I recommend the F1 games to serious racers? He added, no, iRacing or R-Factor. But again, F1 2019 is more arcadey because it's more accessible. Yeah, I mean, look at like the the guys who are making these arguments have like multi thousand dollar sim racing rigs set up in their home. Yeah, right. Like I think the other aspect of this is they they have set up rigs that are providing all kinds of feedback that like F1 2019 needs to work with somebody who's doing a bog standard like PlayStation or Xbox controller uh, and, and just, and just post it up. I think both, by those lights, it works really, really well. I saw a picture on, I think it was on the F1 subreddit of, I'll see if I can link it for the show notes, but um, they had a, I believe it was the race, which uses um, R factor for their esports series. They had mm. a, a legends race, uh, which included uh, Gilles Villeneuve. Um, and he played with the controller. Dude, Oh my god! Did you see the MotoGP one? Uh, I I caught a little bit of it. So yeah, MotoGP all is doing playing one with too. controllers. Well, like, well, so think what about you that? Do, like, I, yeah, steering, yeah. <laughs> steering wheel doesn't work, right? Like the only or thing. Do you? So, I don't know. It's analog. Does anybody have one of those like old arcade setups <laughs> where like w- like what is the sim rig version of a motorbike? A motorbike it's like setup? it like, surely doesn't work, right? Because it's like weight distribution, basically. Like how, yeah. yeah, like oh, what's you, the old you, Sega? Is it arcade the Wii game? Balance Board? Maybe Road Rash? <laughs> no, it's the Sega arcade game where you actually ride the bike and like lean and yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the arcade. Well, yeah. yeah, what a great oh, yeah. What's that called? Whatever that thing, yeah, but, that, totally. But yeah, but even those, it's just like you're sort of steering by just like leaning your body, which felt cool as hell, but probably has nothing to do with actual like motorcycling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like honestly, that sort of sim racing has always baffled me. That is like, I don't know, psychologically, I'm just like, okay, steering wheel that maps to what a race driver is doing, right? Got my wheel, got my pedals. It's always been a huge hurdle for me. The minute you're like, okay. 
Now you're on a motorcycle. Here's your steering wheel and your pedals. <laughs> Is it uh, Manx cool. TT? I think that might be Manx TT. Manx would be Isle of Man. That might be what I'm thinking of. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's Man. funny if they called it Manx TT. It means they didn't have the the Isle of Man TT license that they just called it. <laughs> That's like saying, instead of the British Grand Prix, calling it like the the Cockney Geezer Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> so this week uh verstappen is going to be racing in supercars all-star e-series yeah i saw I a tweet about this yeah so he's not taking part in the official like f1 esports events but he is going to get into the supercars event um he just won his own esports teams uh event the real racers never quit uh series so uh yeah shocker uh, but no, he 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 knows the shit when it comes to sim racing, and uh, apparently this week they're going to be running at uh, Watkins Glen or virtual Watkins Glen. Uh, so <laughs> could be worth checking out. I'll tell you what really seems worth checking out though, in terms of like serious racing and like production values. This IndyCar i racing guys, like we t- we were joking yeah. about the front of the show, but in terms of like an actual motorsports production and. a Thing that looks pretty convincing as far as like on track action the indycar offering is nuts yeah i've watched two races they're great and they they i think it's because it looks like it looks like watching a race because the camera angles uh and the camera movement are correct mm. uh, or or con- convincing and the movement of the car is convincing as well and that i think boils down to or it's a result of the way that iRacing handles uh weight and suspension in their cars like they're really it's very <laughs> very specific um and just well they just do the laser real. scans of the courses yeah they do laser scans right. of the courses and they also disassemble cars uh to see where the weight distribution is or they wow. take like real teams cad files um and they have the real commentary team <laughs> uh for this too so it it looks and sounds um real and it's fun and and people take it seriously unlike um f1 is also taking seriously getting races into your eyeballs uh Mm. they've made another uh, of their archive available on youtube italy 2019 yeah watch fettle fuck up over and over again (laughs) spoilers um and also uh they have made i believe f1 tv free for 30 days i was unable to corroborate this as of recording time but the link was working a few days ago uh because the f1 website is not working uh as we well that's last time i checked but uh apparently you can sign up for a um f1 tv account for free for 30 days and get access to all of uh all 311 grand prix 311 always said it great band (laughs) uh that is uh available there um i can also i will also put a link in the show notes to a uh, a roundup i guess or a blog post that motorsportbroadcasting.com has put together uh that's just links to all of the races instead of using f1 tv's interface because that mm. is kind of rough so i will do that as well so so far we have one two three four five six seven the last seven seasons are complete Going back to 2013, and then 2010 is complete. Um, then it starts to fall off around 2008. Although, interestingly, the 
1999 season has 15 out of 16 races. So if we want to go back and pretend to watch an old series, uh, that could be fun. God, that would be like reliving my F1 life. <laughs> like, I, cause that's a, like, I think I started being a fan just before then, but like, not by much. That would be a very much, this is your life, Rob Zachney type thing. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's all I've got. Uh, anything else, Danny? Nah, that's a, that's a news update for another two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll be finishing Drive to Survive next week, so catch up. It's four episodes, right? We're doing the, the final four? Yes, the final four. Awesome. Looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, it's wild. I, it, feel, it feels good to do these news things every two weeks because I feel like a lot is happening, at least, and it's not just mm-hmm. this like slow drip. But it's also shocking to come back and just see how different, how like the world and what we expect of this season is shifting on a on a bi-weekly basis. Um, who knows what we'll be saying in two weeks? Maybe I'll have come around. Maybe we'll be waiting to do a, a race in the summertime or maybe we'll be wondering if 2021 no, in, in will two be weeks done. it'll be the same thing. I'll be like, I think maybe we can go racing at some point this year, and then you'll be like, No, perish the thought. <laughs> I'll be while I'm while I'm making like a campfire in my house and right, skinning yeah. skinning bunny rabbits. Yeah, like, Danny, why why are the windows boarded <laughs> up in your in, in your office? It transmits via sight. If you don't look at someone in the eyes, <laughs> uh, any final thoughts, Rob? <laughs> uh, no, I think I'm just uh, like. I think I'm a, in very grave danger of turning into a sim racing, competitive sim racing guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I think th- like there's there's a decent chance that like one of these is getting the rose. Hmm. Little bachelor reference. <laughs> Good luck to all competitors. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so again at Patreon.com/shiftf1. Uh, That's it for us. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.